This evening, our scripture reading will come from Mark chapter 10, verses 34, or 43 and 44. Yet it shall be not so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whosoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Please be seated. Please keep your Bibles turned to Mark chapter 10. We'll be camped out there this evening. Tonight we continue our sermon series from the book of Mark, following Jesus immediately, by looking at the four S's. The four S's. By the way, just to let the folks back there, we don't have the um, PowerPoint on that wall, so just to let you know that. The movie Pearl Harbor, of course, chronicles the, uh, the events leading up to Pearl Harbor and just after that. It centers on really on two key pilots, a pilot named Danny and a pilot named Rafe. Before Pearl Harbor actually happened, Rafe volunteered to help the British Air Force. He landed in England and then went over to the airfield. And as he arrived at the airfield, he, he saw planes after plane after plane all shot up. In fact, as he reported into the, to the British commander, the British commander had received word that several more British planes had been shot down. To which the British commander asked Rafe, Is it true that all you Yanks are just eager to die? Come over here and just die? To which Rafe responded, No, I'm not eager to die. I just want a life that matters. I think in many ways, I suppose that's what most of us really want with our lives. We want a life that matters. Let's look at Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Now they were on the road, okay, going up to Jerusalem. You know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. Now they're amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? His disciples were afraid because Jesus was walking into a city where people hated Him and wanted Him dead. And they were afraid. They were afraid of the consequences. They were afraid of what might happen. They were afraid. Let's continue. Then he took the twelve aside. Now, he would be traveling with more than just the twelve. There would be other believers, uh, other followers with them. He took the twelve aside again. He's going to speak just to the twelve. And begin to tell them the things that would happen to him. Before he's been somewhat, um, well, kind of misty, kind of cloudy, not clear sometimes about what would happen. 
Now he says it plain to them. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. That would be the Romans. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. No more speaking in symbolism. Now Jesus tells them, plain and sweet, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen to me. I will be the ultimate sacrifice. Do you want a life that matters? If you want a life that matters, then, then like Jesus, we must be willing to what? Make the sacrifices. Now, we're not called upon to give up our lives. We're very fortunate here in this country uh, not to have that threat. I do realize that for some Christians around the globe, that is a threat they have. But we still have sacrifices. We may be called upon to sacrifice our comforts, our schedule, our wishes, the things we want to do. We may have to give up what we want to do to make the sacrifices that are required. Some of you who are football fans will recognize this guy here. That's Pat Tillman. When he went on to play college football, he had the very last scholarship given. Because really, college evaluators said, you're too small. You'll never be a college football player. In spite of his undersize, he, as a senior, was voted the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year. And he graduated with honors at Arizona. Now, he was drafted into the NFL. He was drafted 226 out of 241 players drafted. In other words, he was one of the last players drafted into the NFL. In five months, he was the starting strong safety for the Arizona football team. He became an NFL star. And after five years of playing in the NFL, he gave it up. Why? Because Pat Tillman loved his freedom more than he loved playing football. 911 had happened. He felt a call to serve his country. So he gave up millions that he was earning as a professional football player to earn $18,000 a year in the Army. He became an Army Ranger. Pretty hard to become a ranger. It's not just everybody who could be a ranger. But he became an army ranger. And unfortunately for his family, he died in Afghanistan. This led his former head coach to say the following words. Pat Tillman represented all that was good in sports. He knew his purpose in life and proudly walked away from a career in football to a greater calling. 
folks. In, in a very real sense. That's what Jesus invites us to do if we want to live a life that matters. Do you want to live a life that matters? You may have to give up a few things. Jesus, Jesus invites us to live our lives with purpose and pursue the greater calling of giving our lives in service for Him. The next S. If we want to live a life that matters, we must be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Look at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you, now we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We got a request and we want you to fulfill it. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. What are, they, what are they asking for? They're asking for the two top spots. Jesus, if you're going to be general, we want to be uh, maybe majors. You know, We want to be on your right hand and left hand, and we want to have the top two spots for us. They want a life. They want a life that matters. Now, they're still thinking physical kingdom, okay? They're not thinking spiritual kingdom. They're thinking spiritual. They're not thinking spiritual. They're thinking physical kingdom. But notice here, in the very next verse, Jesus doesn't reprimand them for their ambition. He just asks them, have you considered the cost? Have you considered the cost? Look at verse 38. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup? I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. What do you, what do you mean, Lord? Cup. If you go back to the Old Testament... Very common in the Old Testament was this symbolism of cup. Cup was a common metaphor in the Old Testament for divine judgment. For divine judgment. We find that in Psalm chapter 75, Isaiah chapter 51, Jeremiah chapter 25, chapter 49, chapter 51, Ezekiel chapter 23, Habakkuk chapter 2, and Zechariah chapter 12. You see, Jesus, by going to the cross, is about to bear the wrath of God's divine judgment for my sins and your sins. He's going to, wear, he's going to, he's going to have to bear under that cup of the cross. That's why he uses that metaphor right there. He says to James and John, have you considered the cost? Are you ready to suffer with me? James, John, Jesus is telling those two men, I'm about to go through a time of extreme suffering and pain. Are you able to suffer too? Are you willing to pay the cost? Verse 39. They said to him, we are able. 
They don't really know what they are agreeing to. They don't realize. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. It will happen. We believe that of the, of the apostles, we believe that every apostle died a, a painful death except one, John. He lived a long life and then died. All the others had some degree of suffering, some degree of trial, some degree of pain. Jesus, Jesus right here, Jesus right here is telling James and John, you will indeed suffer because that's the price of greatness. Do you want to have a life that matters? That's the cost of living a life that matters. We may not have everything as we want it. I believe in the coming years here in this country, as Christians, we may, we may face more persecution, more hardships, more difficulties than we ever have. Our society is rapidly changing. And it's not for Christianity, it's against Christianity. So we may have to pay the price of greatness. The only way to have power and influence in the Lord's kingdom is to be willing to pay the price of greatness. As I've said, that may mean we may have to give up some of our comforts. We may have to uh, sacrifice our schedule to meet the needs of other people. We may have to uh, forego some of our wishes, some of our preferences. But really, if you look at how Christianity has grown in the past, we know that Christianity had some of its greatest growth during times of what? Hardships, of difficulties. It reminds me of a, of a book that was written by a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt. And he said, imagine... In his book, he said, imagine, imagine you have a child and you have a giant eraser and you're given a script, the script for the life of that child from the very first breath until that child dies. And you have the ability to erase things that would happen so they would not happen. And let's say in that script, let's say in that script, your child as a grade school student, has a learning disability that holds them back in school, would you erase it? Would you take it away? And, and suppose that as that child eventually got into high school, maybe that child has a great circle of friends, everything's great, wonderful, but then one of their friends comes down with cancer and a teenager dies. And that sets off your child into great depression. Would you erase that? And maybe later on, your child finally gets into the college that he or she wanted to go to. 
And they're so excited because they're going to the college that they wanted to go to. But then they don't really concentrate on their studies. They're having too much fun. And they flunk out as a freshman. And they lose their position in that college. Would you erase that? And maybe later on they finally graduate and they get the job they really wanted. They get that ideal dream job, and, but because of an economic downturn, their, their company has to, uh, has to cut costs. And one of the costs they cut is the job for your child. If you had that eraser, what would you erase? What would you take away? Because he said, I look at myself. He said, I'm part of a generation of adults. We, we call ourselves helicopter parents because we're constantly trying to swoop in into our kids' educational life, relationship life, sports life, whatever, to make, to make sure that no one is mistreating them, that no one is disappointing them, that no one is hurting them. We want them to experience one unobstructed success after another. And he said, I have come to realize that's not the best way to be a parent. Because he said, my children need to learn both success and they need to learn the lessons from when they fail. Because if they don't, they will never be able to stand on their own two feet. Maybe if we are facing some hard times in this country in the near future, maybe if that is so, maybe that's good. Because a part of life is suffering. But God can use that suffering, whatever it might be, to make us better people if we come to Him with our pain. If we come to Him. If we use that situation, that pain, that trial, that difficulty, to be brought closer to our God, hey, that will make us better people. It's an absolute necessary necessity. If we want to live lives that matter, next, we must be willing to submit. The third S, to submit to God's will. We must be faithful to carry out God's assignment for us, whether it's great or small. Verse number 40. But to sit on my right hand, and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. It doesn't matter if, if our assignment in life is great or small, let's do the best at that assignment. Many of you will recognize this face, the name Alexander Campbell, one of the key restoration leaders. He came to our country, he and his mother and his siblings. They immigrated in 1809 from Scotland. Uh, the Campbell family were part Irish and part Scottish. 
They came to this country in 1809. Alexander Campbell's father had already been here two years. Now, Alexander Campbell, in my opinion, along with J.W. McGarvey, perhaps are the two greatest scholars that the Restoration Movement has ever produced. But did you notice I mentioned his father's name? Thomas. What do you know about Thomas? We know a lot about Alexander Campbell. He wrote a lot of books. He wrote a lot of papers. He was one of the voices that said, let's go back and do Bible things as Bible says. He wanted to restore New Testament Christianity. But what about his father? Did you know that Thomas Campbell had some of those same ideas here in this country as his son Alexander was having when he eventually was brought over to this country and was reunited with his son? You see, Thomas Campbell had also had ideas of let's do it the way the Bible says. Let's follow the Bible. But when we think about the Restoration Movement, we think about Alexander Campbell. We don't usually think about Thomas Campbell. The spotlight was certainly on Alexander and not Thomas. But you know this? The Lord never says, well done, good and famous servant. But He does say, well done, good and faithful servant. So it doesn't matter if I'm a Thomas Campbell working in the background, serving, or an Alexander Campbell leading the charge. I want to be faithful. How about you? To be a faithful husband, to be a faithful wife, to be a faithful parent, to be a faithful grandparent, to be a faithful friend, to be a faithful servant that that wants to help others come to know God. And that leads us to our very last point. To have a life that matters, we must serve one another. Yes, there may be some sacrifices we have to make, we may have to suffer, and we surely have to submit to God's will, but we also must be willing to serve. We must. We must put each other's needs and interests above our own. Look at verse 41. And when the ten heard it, the other apostles, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now, why are they displeased? Well, they had failed to ask for the same thing, you know. Hey, we should have asked that request. We should have put in that request. Why did you do it? You know, what gives you the right to, to be number one and number two? They were mad, upset, because they thought that James and John were going to be elevated above them. Look at verse 42. But Jesus called them to Himself... And said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They lord it over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know, that's the way the world operates. Its leaders dominate and control. They demand their rights and exploit people to get their ways. You know, we call it a dog-eat-dog world. And out there, it is. But that's not the way Jesus wants His church to be. That's the way that the world out there operates. But Jesus says this, verse 43, Yet it shall not be so among you. It won't be the case among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great, be a servant. Remember one of the last object lessons that Jesus gave His apostles? He washed their feet. They didn't want to do that. Washing the feet was the job of the low guy. They didn't want to be the low guy. And here is Jesus, the Master, getting up to wash their feet. Verse 44, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus was the ultimate servant. Serving our needs by going to that cross. Now, Thomas, is he here? I don't see Thomas. Okay, he's not here. He would know this picture. Thomas is a White Sox fan, right? That picture is Jerry Manuel of the White Sox. He is, to this day, the fourth winningest manager in White Sox history. Only one season of the six seasons that he managed, his club finished lower than second. He was named manager of the year in the year 2000. On September the 28th, 2003, he recorded his 500th victory as manager. On the very next day, after recording his 500th victory, he was fired as manager. Because why? Because he had not won that year. When asked about the firing, he said, I have no regrets because I came in to do something. Here is his quote. Obviously, you want to win. But if you can impact someone's life and head them in the right direction, whether it's in baseball or not, I think that's the biggest thing for me. And because of that, he said, I feel like I, I'm a winner because I have a life that I have lived without regrets. Do you want to live a life without regrets? Do you want to live a life that makes a positive difference in other people's lives? You can do it. With God's help, 
Strive to be a servant and not a celebrity. Put God first. If we want to live a life that matters, then we must sacrifice, we must suffer, we must submit, we must serve. The four S's. As a closeout, there was a movie that came out several years ago called The Emperor's Club. In the movie, Kevin Kline portrays a, an instructor of Western Civ for a very prestigious private school. On the very first day, his 30 students march in. They're all boys. They all have their coats on. You know, they all have everything just neat as everything, neat as a pen. He walks to the front of the classroom. He asks for one volunteer. He gets a volunteer. He says, I want you to go over to that door, and I want you to read out loud the plaque that is above that door. The plaque that was above that door was from an ancient writing. It was about a king, the king of Elam, E-L-A-M. We think that probably is a descendant of Shem, other words, a descendant of the grandson of Noah. The country would be in what we call today southern Iran. You might remember the capital Susa. Remember capital Susa? That was their capital city. It would become part of the Persian Empire. But this particular king, his name was Shutrak. Shutrak. And on the, on the plaque there above the door... It talked about his conquest. He had, he had been victorious over an enemy. And it talked about his ambition, how he wanted to expand his reign. And then he said to the class, Is anyone familiar with this fellow? You can look in your textbooks. Textbooks are permissible, but you won't find him there. In fact, there's very, very little about him. His accomplishments, his accomplishments cannot be found in any major history book. Why? Because great ambition, which he had, and great conquest, which he had, but without contribution or without significance. What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? I was asked to perform a funeral out of town about a year ago. And as I stood up to speak, I looked at the family. And the family was seated over to my, to my right. And I saw Christian, 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 Christian. Every son, every daughter, a faithful Christian. Every son-in-law, every daughter-in-law, a faithful Christian. And every grandchild who was old enough to, to be obedient, to make a decision about Christ, 
had become already a Christian. And the first thing I said about the deceased was, right there is the contribution that she made in life. She passed on her faith to her family. What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? That woman could not have passed on her faith if she did not have faith. She had made some sacrifices. She had submitted. She had served. She was willing to do all that because she believed in the promises of God. Do you believe tonight? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, what's holding you back? What is holding you back? If you are a Christian, are you ready for His return? If I was to say to you right now, I can't say this, but if I was to say to you right now, uh, Jesus is going to return, let's see, He's going to return at... Um, 710 tonight. How many would be up here on the front row asking for prayers, asking to be restored, asking to have forgiveness of sins that you know that you are committing in your life? Now, could Jesus come back at 710 tonight? Yes. We don't know when He'll come back. But I'll tell you one thing, He will come back. I can't tell you when, but I can tell you that He will. And are you ready for His return? Drake has a song to encourage you. Listen to these words. If you have any need, please respond as we stand and sing for your encouragement. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time 